right, good morning once again. Uh, glad to have you this morning in our, our Bible class. It's been, it feels like it's been a, a while since we've been at it. Uh, of course, because of the gospel meeting last Sunday and uh, Wednesday uh, night. And so we are getting back into our study on the life of Christ. Uh, this is lesson number 75. If you're following along in the curriculum or if you just want to follow along in the Bible, we'll be in Luke chapter 15 today. Luke chapter 15. And of course, let's uh, always, as we like to do, sort of review where we are. Uh, again, especially since we've been... Uh, since it's been a, over a week since we've been uh, looking at this. But the last lesson we looked at was at the end of Luke chapter 14, uh, where Jesus was finishing giving his parables, uh, those, uh, those dinner meal type parables that he was giving. And uh, remember, he's in Perea right now. It's about six months and, uh, or six months to, uh, you know, five, four, three, two, one, until his uh, trip back to Jerusalem for that last time. And so we're getting closer and closer to the end. But he's in Perea, that's just east of the Jordan River. And he's uh, giving these great parables that, you know, often we don't, uh, you know, maybe we think he preaches these in Jerusalem or preaches them in Galilee. But it's in Perea that these are recorded for us. And he, we, we looked at this one about the great banquet, right? There was this master who sent out these invitations to uh, people that he was going to invite to this great banquet. And uh, as the banquet was about to begin, you remember there's uh, these excuses that kept coming up over and over again. You know, the first guy says uh, that he had just bought some land and he needed to go check it out. Right? He had an invitation to come to this feast, but he makes an excuse and says, well, I need to go check out this land I just bought. And then the second person says, well, I, I need to go try out the oxen that I just purchased. And then there was the third person who said, well, I just got married, so I can't come. And so we see these excuses one after another uh, of uh, not being able to go to this banquet. And again, this banquet in this parable represents, you know, it represents salvation. You know, they had received the, the invitation. Uh, they first accepted it, but they started to make these excuses at the end. And we sort of went through each one of those excuses and kind of noticed, you know, uh, maybe these didn't make too much sense uh, if we really think about that, right? That, you know, that someone bought land and apparently they had to go right then and there to look at it or someone had uh, bought these oxens and apparently they, you know, they didn't try them out. They didn't test drive them, if you will, before uh, purchasing. And so again, that didn't make sense. And then, uh, you know, saying that you couldn't come because you just got married. Uh, you know, who, who's going to turn down a free meal? And, uh, but again, he says that, that he can't go. Uh, because of that, and so the master is angry, right? He's upset that all these people have turned down his invitation, and, uh, but he doesn't cancel, he doesn't cancel the, the dinner banquet, but he tells his servants to go out and bring in, you know, the, the, line, the, excuse me, the lame and the blind and the poor, and, and they do that, but then they still say there's still room at the banquet, and so... You know, the, the, the overall message that Jesus was, you know, again, he's talking to a Pharisee. He's, at, he's having a meal with a Pharisee, and, you know, he's making the connection between the Jews and the Gentiles, right? That, that the Jews have received that invitation. They were the first ones to receive that invitation, but uh, it's ultimately a lot of them are the ones that are going to reject that, and they're making these excuses to do that, and it's the Gentiles 
those who um, uh, were, that he's representing by the lame and the blind and poor. It's those that are going to surprisingly accept the invitation. It's those who are going to be at that great banquet that's going to uh, surprise a lot of the Jews. And so, um, you know, again, but, but we can make the case, uh, we can apply that parable today as well between the Christian and the non-Christian, right? That, that we, uh, we can, uh, in, um, you know, evangelize and that we can preach the gospel to others. And we know that, you know, excuses will be made as well. Uh, but, of course, the, really the, the line that Jesus says that really hammers at home in that parable, he says there in verse 24 of chapter 14, For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. And then in verses 25 to 35, he talks about the cost of discipleship. You know, the, being a disciple of Jesus costs something, right? It's not this easy, feel-good life that uh, everything is going to be great. You know, as some uh, pulpits will preach from, this feel-good message, this uh, uh, prosperity gospel. But Jesus says it's going to cost something, right? Uh, it's going to be tough. You have to strive, he says. And he talked about uh, saying, you know, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own, you know, and he gives examples, uh, his, uh, his uh, children, his mother and father, uh, brothers and sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And we talked a lot about how, you know, maybe that uh, verse looks a little brash to some of us. Uh, maybe we're reading it for the first time. Notice that Jesus says, again, that you cannot be my disciple uh, if you do not, you know, hate his own uh, you know, mother, father, wife, uh, but again, that word hate, as we talked about at length last time, uh, means, you know, love less, right? God's number one, and, um, you know, and then, um, <clears throat> and then by comparison, uh, our relationship with, you know, those around us in comparison with God uh, is the ones that uh, he says that we need to love less, um, Again, because it costs something to be a disciple of him. And then he gives some examples. He says, you know, who, who's going to build a tower without, you know, calculating the cost? Right? Or who's going to go to war without, uh, you know, determining if they have enough men, uh, enough weaponry to go up against the enemy? You know, you, you understand uh, counting the cost when it is, comes to physical things. But he also says we need to count the cost when it comes to uh, spiritual things as well. And so that was the lesson uh, a week and a half ago, uh, we're moving into Luke chapter 15 this morning. And in this chapter, of course, Jesus gives three uh, parables. Uh, all three of these really share the same point. And these are often referred to as the lost parables. You know, I know a lot of people, this is probably their favorite chapter uh, in the Bible. So uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to uh, read all of uh, every one of these parables, uh, word for word. But notice as it begins in verses 1 and 2, uh, it says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Uh, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and the scribes, right, they can't believe that Jesus is eating with the tax collectors. Right? Uh, what, what is it about tax collectors that the Jews didn't like? Well, most of them were crooked. Most of them were crooked, right. Most of them were their own 
And they were their brethren. Exactly. Yeah. Um, does anyone here like tax collectors? Not, uh, we don't have a high opinion of them, right? Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, what Jason says is true. You've got uh, Jewish men who were working for the Roman government on behalf of the Roman government to collect taxes uh, for them from you. And uh, a lot of them were... Uh, a little bit uh, greedier than they should have been and took a little bit more off the top. You know, we, we see in Luke 19, the man Zacchaeus, who was, who Jesus, uh, of course, questions uh, his motives. And, and so, you know, we'll see that here in a little bit. But Jesus has the, the tax collectors are coming to him. The sinners are coming to him. Uh, if you have a footnote in your Bible in there in verse one for the word sinners, uh, mine says this is the, the irrelig- irreligious Jews. Right, so these are, these are Jewish individuals who uh, maybe weren't as pious as the, the Pharisees. They, they weren't as religious. And so you have these uh, individuals coming to Jesus, coming to listen to him. And so the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble. Right? Here is a man who claims to be the Messiah, yet he is meeting with uh, the tax collectors and the sinners, the people that the, that the Pharisees and scribes would have said, you have no business associating with. I like this quote that uh, one preacher said. He said, the religious, pe- religious people who have no time for sinful men are out of touch with God. Right? Jesus is God, right? And here uh, Jesus is uh, embracing uh, the, the, the sinners and the tax collectors. Now, he's not, con- he's not condoning what they're doing. He never does that, but he at least uh, he is associating with them, right? He, he's uh, eating meals with them. And so, um, again, think of the Pharisees. Do you remember what that word Pharisee means? I don't know if we talked about that too much, but, uh, you know, the word Pharisee, it means separated ones. Right? They are ones who, um, you know, again, they separated themselves from uh, the other uh, Jews. Again, uh, as we've talked about the Pharisees a lot in these uh, past few classes, you know, they are the ones who built these uh, laws around uh, God's word, hedged, you know, hedged them so that uh, they would be extra careful not to break God's laws. But by doing that, they were binding, you know, their laws on other people. And so, um, you know, they were the separated ones. And so they separated themselves, again, from people like the tax collectors, people like the sinners, and would say, you know, you should have nothing to do with them, right? Uh, Let me read this passage real quick. Isaiah chapter uh, 65, verse 5, gives us a glimpse into... Uh, their attitudes. Uh, Isaiah 65 verse 5 says, Who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. Right? That, that's sort of the idea of uh, the Pharisees, uh, holier than thou. And uh, so, uh, again, Jesus associating with sinners we see here. Again, this doesn't mean that he's condoning their actions. Uh, but he's always, whenever we read about him, uh, you know, dealing with those, uh, he's always acting as their deliverer, 
right? He's always uh, in that role of deliverer. Uh, Go and sin no more. Remember, he said that to the, the woman who was caught in adultery back in John chapter 8. Right? He, he never uh, condoned her actions, but he told her, go and sin no more. And so we see that over and over again. So again, here's the setting. Uh, Jesus is um, he, he's surrounded by the tax collectors and the sinners. Again, the irreligious Jews of the day. And they're listening to him. And the Pharisees are grumbling at this. Uh, that this man's receiving them and he's eating with them. And so uh, Jesus is going to give these three very, very powerful uh, parables. So let's look at the, the first one. And uh, one thing I want you to sort of notice as we go from one to the next to the next is sort of the, uh, the percentage, if you will, uh, the percentage of uh, those who are considered lost uh, in these parables. Because you're going to notice that it's going to... Uh, increase with each parable. And so that's just something uh, of interest. So let's look at uh, Luke 15, starting in verse 3. Uh, so he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he had a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So what's the, what's the main point here? What's Jesus trying to get them to understand? Got a hundred sheep, ninety-nine are with you. One's missing. Uh, that uh, sheep herder goes after that one sheep. What's he trying to tell us? Every soul is important. Okay. Yeah, every soul is important, and also uh, there's great rejoicing in heaven, right, over one soul. Who repents, uh, other than you know those ninety-nine who need no repentance? Um, shouldn't that motivate us to know what's going on in heaven? It should, shouldn't it? You know, he he's counting on us, isn't he? Uh, that we are the one, we are the hands, we are his hands and feet on this earth, right? And he's counting on us to do that work of that shepherd uh, here in these verses, that we go after that one. You know, and uh, you know, think, a mo- think a moment about those 99 sheep. Uh, 99 out of 100 is pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, when we think of, uh, you know, maybe we think of sports, you know, uh, in basketball, you know, if you shoot 99 out of 100 from the free throw line, I mean, you'd be the greatest free throw shooter that ever lived. Right? You'd have the, the greatest percentage probably uh, ever. You know, that's practically perfect. But in heaven, is 99 out of 100 good enough? It's not, is it? No. Um, and let's think on the flip side of that. One out of 100 is pretty insignificant, isn't it? I mean, that's what we might think uh, in today's uh, world again. 
Uh, you know, maybe you're working an assembly line and, you know, you've got these products coming in front of you and, you know, 99 out of 100 of them are good, uh, but there's that one that maybe is malfunctioning or, or whatever, and so you kind of toss that one aside. Uh, again, is, um, uh, you know, what, in heaven, you know, that one that you toss aside right there, um, in heaven, that's a big deal. Be a lost soul, right? We're walking along with, uh, uh, you know, change in our pocket, and we drop a penny. How many of us stop and bend over to pick up that penny, or do we just think, ah, it's just a penny? You know, we find pennies. I don't know about you, but I find pennies all the time on the ground. You know, because uh, you know maybe it's uh, someone reacting in that way. Oh, it's just a penny. You know. Um, there's too much effort to bend over and pick it up, and so oh, they, they, we just leave it again. Uh, in heaven, that's not good enough. Well, God paid for that so His son. Sure. He paid for it forever. Yeah, and think about this, that one again, uh, because what if that one was you? Right? Then it's pretty significant, isn't it? Uh, that, that we do uh, the work uh, that God has for us to do. Again, so, um, so again, a, a very powerful parable. Notice again that he starts off by uh, distinguishing one out of a hundred. And let's go right into the next one here, verses 8 through 10. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, you know, we go from uh, the, the 99 sheep to this, these 10 coins, right? And so... When we think of, again, that, that past parable, there was that 1% that was missing. Uh, what percentage is missing now? One coin missing out of 10 coins. Yeah, 10%. So as you can kind of see, that, that percentage is increasing, right? The, these parables are sort of uh, increasing in, in power. And so uh, this woman has 10 silver coins. She loses one of them. Uh, we're not necessarily told this is... Um, you know, all that she had to live on, but we could probably assume that. And uh, she loses it. And what is the picture that Jesus is painting to us about this woman and her search for that lost coin? What is she doing? What are some of those descriptive words that she's doing? Okay, she's searching diligently. She, yeah, she's going to rejoice. But uh, what's she doing as she's looking for the coin? Okay, 100% effort. Uh, we, we notice her, she's lighting a lamp. Right? She, she lights a lamp. Um, she's sweeping the house. Uh, and she's searching carefully and diligently. She's, she's making every effort for this lost coin, isn't she? Uh, this is important to her. Uh, she, you know, she's not saying, oh, well, you know, I, I can't do anything about it. 
it's, it's missing, but she is searching. She's making every effort. And notice this. Uh, notice this. In verse 8, it says, uh, What woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin? And verse 9 says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. What is she admitting in this parable? Right. She's, uh, she's telling us that she lost this coin. You know, this wasn't as if she um, misplaced it or somebody came in and stole it, uh, but she lost uh, this coin. You know, that's interesting. Uh, sometimes, you know, we can be responsible uh, for, you know, losing a coin, if you will. Now, again, if we think back at the first parable that we gave, there was the sheep that just kind of wandered off. Right? And that happens a lot in the church, uh, that a sheep will wander off. You know, it'll see something, and it'll wander off, and you know, we might never find that sheep again. But uh, here, here, it appears that she's responsible for losing this coin, right? whether, it's, um, whether it's neglect or inattention to that coin, or uh, maybe um, you know, being offensive. Right? There are times where you know, maybe the, um, the responsibility lies on us that we have uh, in our actions, um, maybe you know, that we've allowed uh, you know, that coin to slip out of our hands, if you will. Again, the coin representing a soul. Uh, maybe we've allowed that coin to slip out of our hands because of those things. Uh, Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 14, uh, to this church, he said, uh, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Right? We have a responsibility, don't we, uh, to uh, act in such a way that you know, we're not going to uh, lose a coin if you will. Again, some are going to wander away like the, the sheep uh, in the first uh, parable. Uh, when we get to the prodigal son here in a moment, uh, we're going to notice, uh, again, that person who uh, says, you know, I don't want anything to do with this life anymore, and so I'm going to go live in the far country. But, you know, when you think of this coin that's lost, again, she lost the coin, and so some of the blame may be to her. And so, uh, you know, that's a, a lesson for us that we need to make sure that, again, that we're um, you know, dealing with things in a positive manner as well uh, when it comes to our brethren, uh, especially those who are, are younger in the faith. And so uh, I, I've mentioned this uh, parable, before, not this parable, but this story before, but uh, you know, there, there's so many parallels uh, between uh, this lost coin and, you know, something that happened in my life. Uh, right before we moved uh, to, t- to Tennessee back in 2018 to go to preaching school, but we had um, misplaced uh, Angela's wedding ring. And, you know, we were uh, scouring the house. Uh, you know, we had, uh, we had 48 hours until we had to give up possession of the house. And, you know, we were scouring it. Did it go under the stove? Did it go under the refrigerator? Did it fall down a vent? We just could not find it. We had been looking for days and days and days. And finally, for whatever reason, we looked in uh, Parker's bin of, of toys one last time, and, you know, there it was. And there was much rejoicing, right? We, we were so happy uh, because, you know, we figured it was lost. Uh, we were going to have to move and never find it again. 
And we, we celebrated, right? We were happy. But now think of that celebration versus the celebration that's going on in heaven when one soul repents. Right? Again, look at that verse uh, 10. Uh, in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner uh, who repents. Again, every soul is important. That's how God wants us uh, to find the lost. You know, I was thinking about this, this, um, this just last night, and you know, maybe, it, maybe it'll hit you as much as it, it hit me, but you know, imagine you know, visiting someone's home that maybe have, have left the church. You know, just imagine visiting them at that time. And, um, and then also, you know, imagine what's going on in heaven at that time. You know, are, are, are the angels, as we see here in verse 10, are they, are they gathering and saying, hey, look, you know, uh, you know Michael's, he, he's over at, you know, at someone's house. And maybe this is the day. Maybe this is the day he says something. Maybe this is the day that, that you know, that person's going to repent and come back. You know, I just wonder if that's what's going on in heaven based on that verse there. Uh, and then maybe, we, maybe I'm there and I don't say anything and I leave. And, you know, is there great disappointment in heaven because I didn't say anything? I didn't try. Again, you know, what's going on in heaven at that time? Uh, you know, based on that verse 10 there, you know, it, it, it makes you want to think. Uh, it makes you think of, uh, you know, what's going on there uh, at that moment. And so, um, again, I think what we really can learn from this lady uh, here in this uh, parable is we've got to put in the effort. Right? We've got to light our lamps, we've got to sweep the house, and we've got to search diligently until we find. And again, that's in connection with um, you know, that lost soul, that, that lost coin. So those are the first two. Obviously, the, the third one here is the one that we're probably all familiar with. It's probably uh, a lot of people's favorite parable of all the scripture. Again, it's only given in the book of Luke, uh, the prodigal son. And so um, let's just take the time to read it. Uh, starting in verse 11. And uh, it says, And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? If I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. 
and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came... Who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead, and has begun to live, and was lost, and has been found. It's a powerful parable, isn't it? There's just so much in there to unpack. But again, notice that progression, right? You got the, uh, the 1%, and then you got uh, the 10%. And now, now what percentage do you have of the two sons? Yeah, 50%. So again, it keeps on increasing. The stakes are getting uh, higher. And there, again, there's so many lessons in this. But let, let's talk about the three main characters for a moment. So, so here's the father. Uh, who's the father represent? God, right. The father represents God. And what do, we, what do we learn from this text here? About the father. He cares. Absolutely. What are some of the descriptions that you like in this parable about the father in particular? He forgave him. He was watching. Yeah, he was watching. He forgave him. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, uh, what Miss Helen brought up there, that, that's one of my favorite verses that, uh, that talks about how he, verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him right, and felt compassion for him, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Right, that, that, that's God. Right, that's God who is searching for his lost children to return to him. And he's ready to, um, to not, you know, point a finger at them and get in their face and tell them all the bad things that they did. But he's waiting for them to, uh, that he can, you know, kill the fatted calf. That he can put a ring on the finger and a robe on them. And, and again, it's just so many powerful um, visions that we have of God here in this parable. And, uh, and so there, there's the father. Uh, the second main character... Uh, in this parable is the sun. Now, uh, who does the sun represent? All right, yeah. So the sun represents uh, those who have left the father's presence, right? Uh, the son says, give me my inheritance. Uh, you know, the father's not even dead, but he's demanding to have his inheritance now. He goes into that far country, of course, the far country represents sin. sin. Yep, the far country represents sin. He goes in the far country. He's squandering his living. Uh, he, he uses up everything that he's been given. And now he's forced to uh, work in the pig pen. And how much would a Jew enjoy working in a pig pen? 
uh, he would absolutely hate it. It would be the worst thing uh, possible for a Jewish man to have to clean uh, you know, the, the, the pig pen because, of course, the pigs were unclean to the, the Jews. And so um, we just we can't imagine uh, you know, what uh, disappointment or what he was going through at that time. But then, you know, another verse that I love in this chapter, uh, <clears throat> where it talks about he, he, uh, he came to himself, verse 17, but when he came to his senses, or when he came to himself, you know, he realized that he was lost, he realized that um, so much, things would be so much better uh, with his father, and so... Uh, he had the, the strength and the courage to say, I'm going home. Uh, you know, a lot of people won't do that, right? A lot of people when, when, will not come home because of either embarrassment or pride or whatever. But he had the courage, uh, he had the senses, we're told, to uh, turn around, go home. And again, just what, what a reception he had from his father. Just saying, most people... All right. Yeah, he he hit rock bottom, didn't he? And uh, like Jeff said, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, when they get to that point, um, that's when they realize, you know, that um, something's something's not right here, and maybe it would be better for me to be uh, back with the father, and so. Uh, he makes the right decision here uh, in this chapter, of course. But again, there's just a lot of things that will keep um, those from coming back home. Um, and so, I know we're running quickly out of time. We could spend another hour in this chapter. But who, who's the older brother? Who's he represent? <coughs> he probably represents the scribes and the Pharisees, Right? Uh, they're the older brother. They're they're the ones um, that you know the 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 son has come home. The prodigal son has come home. The father is throwing this great celebration for him, but the older brother can't be happy for him, can he? Because to the the Pharisee, to the the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, those uh, tax collectors, those irreligious Jews, those those sinners, you know, they shouldn't have an opportunity for. To be in the Father's presence, right? That, that's what they're thinking. So, did, did this older brother truly love his uh, younger brother? Did he care about his lost state? He didn't, did he? Uh, he became angry. He became jealous when his brother came home. Uh, he couldn't put his brother's past behind him. Um, again, um, just there's just so many powerful points there you know we could probably do a whole lesson on the older brother and maybe we will some at some point but uh, you know these are just some powerful powerful uh, parables here in Luke chapter 15 you know it's just you got the one after the other after the other and again all encompassing this idea of you know the lost the lost and how God uh, reacts how heaven reacts uh, to those who uh, come back to him and uh Again, Jesus is God. This is, uh, that's the point I want to emphasize is when Jesus is giving these parables, you know, this is how God wants us to act. He wants us to search and to bring uh, others back to 
uh, his church and to his to help in that, uh, but also uh, that you know there's again great rejoicing. Heaven is uh, they heaven is intrigued about what's going on down here, right? I mean that that's the point that we should make. That's the point that we should always consider as we live our lives. That heaven is intrigued about what's going on down here, and again, you know they're ready to celebrate when uh, that one returns. So I uh, appreciate um, everyone's comments here this morning. Uh, we'll continue on Wednesday evening into Luke chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 18. And uh, again, appreciate all the comments. I believe I'm listening.